Miss Sarah, Miss Heidi, appreciate that much. Romans chapter number 16, if you grab your Bibles and join me there. Romans chapter number 16, part 50 of our study in the book of Romans. And we're nearing the conclusion here. We'll actually cover quite a bit tonight. And we're going to pick up right away um, in verse number 3 and following. If you need an outline, and we can have one of the ushers make their way down with some extras here. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, not an extensive outline per se, but enough to kind of give us some details during the very unusual part of this letter. The end of it, as we called it in weeks past, the P.S. part, uh, and so forth. So Brother Cliffs, make his way down the middle aisle if you need one. I certainly encourage you uh, to get his attention. He'll get that in your hands, and you can follow along. Let's pick up verse number 3. Verses 1 and 2, we studied Phoebe, if you remember, and uh, some great things Paul mentioned and noted about her. Now we want to delve into verse 3 and following chapter 16 of Romans. Verse 3, he writes this, Great Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Implius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, uh, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. <laughs> Excuse me. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. Salute Asyncritus and Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philoglos and Julia, uh, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Now, aren't you glad you didn't read it? That's fun right there. And that's why I tell people, somebody says, well, you, you read some of those pretty well. I said, all you got to do is fake it, like you know what you're saying, and just do it with confidence, okay? So if you come up to me after and say, I think that's pronounced the other way, I'll probably say, you're probably right, okay? And uh, in my un unlearned English, I just say what it is, what it looks like, and I go with it, phonetic, hooked on phonics work. Anyway, okay, so a lot of fun names, right? Enjoyable names. We would call this section, and I would certainly call it, as you see on your outline, the salutations of Paul. And obviously, he is saluting and greeting many, and in fact, what's interesting, as you see the repetitiveness of that word greeting or salute, those two words, I should say, it's interesting or a variation of them. It's really the same Greek word time and time again. That word is, the word is aspasamahi, and uh, that's the Greek word. And that is just, it, it's translated as both those saluteth, salute, greet, and so forth, okay? It speaks, and, and here's uh, what Paul is demonstrating, showing us. It speaks to the reality of the memory of Paul of the lives that he touched and the lives that touched him. And as we talk about these 22, 24 names, if you add on the, the households and so forth, there's a lot of folks here. And many of these, I, I believe, are those who, as we see even one reference to, are those who he won to the Lord. Uh, those fruit that abound to his account, uh, wherever he went and his missions thing. And yet, um, the fact is this, he doesn't mention that here. 
He doesn't say, well, so-and-so who I led to the Lord, so-and-so in that city who I led to the Lord, so forth. No, he doesn't say that, or who all made their way to Rome, whatever the case may be, or from this. No, he doesn't say that. It really, there's no allusion to that. In fact, we know it is very much like Paul to not boast of those things. Paul, like, any, like many others in the New Testament, realized, what, I'm just a tool in the hand of God. And I, I believe Brother Josh alluded to it in his message here a couple times. You know, the reality is we're just tools. We're just being used of God. And Paul had that mindset and that, that attitude. I, hey, I'm just being used of God just like he uses everybody else and Apollos and all these others that he Hey, God uses each of us. It reminds me of a, a story of there was a, a gentleman who was obviously inebriated. He was under the control of alcohol. And uh, he loudly came up to D.L. Moody and started calling out to him. And Mr. Moody, Mr. Moody, and, and uh, you know me. And, and uh, D.L. Moody's like, friend, I, I don't know who you you are. I don't, I don't recognize you anything. And, and obviously with that slur and accent uh, of someone who's inebriated under the control of alcohol, the, the gentleman just kind of speaks up and he says, why, Mr. Moody, you converted me. And the simple reply from D.L. Moody was this. He says, well, you look like an example of what I could do converting somebody. It is evident that Christ had nothing to do with it. It's a good response, isn't it? Because you and I, we don't convert anybody. It's only God who does. Jesus Christ. It's a good response. He says, listen, if you and I tried to convert somebody, (laughs) that's a good example of how it would turn out. Because Christ is the only one that brings regeneration and change. And Paul would have shared that sentiment. Paul was right along those lines. This isn't, don't think for a moment, here's a list of people I've won to the Lord. No, no, no. That's not what Paul's doing here at all. He's listing these as his fellow laborers, his friends, uh, not as his fruit or converts, though I believe many of them are. These are just folks that he is very thankful for. In fact, there's only one mention, we'll see him in a moment here, one mention of a man who is fruit, and he lists him as fruit to Christ. It's Christ's fruit. And that was Paul's attitude. Okay, so let's look at this long list of people. It's amazing. Yeah, we're going to get through these verses through verse 15 just tonight. And uh, we start the list with someone who's very familiar probably. Probably the only one that's familiar on the list to us, okay? Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila, right? So we read here his, his reference to them in uh, verse 3. So let's hold our spot there. Let's remind ourselves of where else we see them mentioned. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, if you will, with me. And we'll just kind of get a, a short picture of Priscilla and Aquila. Acts chapter 18. Look at verses, uh, let's just start in verse 1. We'll uh, not read the entire chapter at all. We'll just read a few verses here. Verse 1, uh, Luke records for us. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately came from Italy. Now, that's important. Remember, Rome's in Italy. And so, lately came from Italy. We'll explain. He'll explain it why. And his wife, Priscilla. Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Now let's stop back a second because what letter are we reading? What letter are we studying tonight? Well, the book of Romans. So he's writing to Rome and he's talking about, he says, I want you to greet Aquila and Priscilla. So most conclude that when that letter was written, Aquila and Priscilla had returned to Rome. 
where they were before, and uh, they left, as, as shown here in Acts chapter 18, and then they sometime, maybe after Claudius died, uh, whatever the case may be, things were let up, they returned to Rome, and by the time Paul's writing that letter, uh, there's some, certainly maybe some disagreeing opinions there, but that kind of gives us the context of it, okay? So we're introduced to him. Look down at verse number 18 with me, if you will. Same chapter, verse, uh, chapter 18 uh, and verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. And then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. Okay, a vow. Let me back up. I should have read verse number 3. Look back at verse number 3. Uh, he dwells with them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. In rot, uh, for by their occupation they were tent makers. You probably remember that. They shared that occupation and so forth. Okay, but verse 18, he's going on, and notice it. They travel with him uh, there. Now jump down to verse 24, if you will, the same chapter. Verse 24, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now notice this, his knowledge is limited, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Cai, the brethren wrote, exhorting disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace." For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Great statement, okay? And uh, we see these, uh, these references of all this list of people listed in verses uh, 3 through 15 of Romans 16. Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned the most within Scriptures. Not only these we just spoke of, but Paul mentions them in a couple other places. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The church of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Then he would add this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Salute, a different spelling, same people, Prisca and Aquila in the household of Anesaurus. So uh, you see these references to these two folks. And boy, what can we conclude? What do we learn about them? Well, first of all, Aquila was a Jew. We saw that. He was a native of Pontus. He was a tent maker by trade like Paul. Uh, something he had in, con- in common with him. It's assumed that Paul met them on his second journey. That was their first. Uh, 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 that's the assumption. That's the first time that they met. And he lived with them for some time. We don't know the extent, the length of it. He took up and worked in tent making for some time. So it was probably a longer period per se. Uh, they even then continued with him to Ephesus. When he left Corinth, and they seem to have a big part in the ministry there. See, when Paul returns there to Ephesus, he finds the city ready for revival. And no doubt, uh, as even demonstrated in the end of this chapter here in Acts 18, uh, Aquila and Priscilla had a big part in that. They played a huge part, specifically in the life of a very talented, gifted, but needing some more education evangelist. Named Apollos, as we just read a moment ago. Uh, it's evident that they had a huge impact. They, they heard him teaching. He only knew the baptism of John. They, they say, hey, why don't you come spend some time with us? And they instructed him. And, and Isn't that neat? I, I just find that amazing. I, I think of myself and being a, a pastor and a preacher. I, I think of Brother Josh. And I think of missionaries and evangelists and pastors. Do you realize that each of us have had Sunday school teachers <laughs> that taught us? 
People who, who we sat under, many of you, I'm sure Josh and others have sat under, and, and Jeff Smith and Nathan, and, and they sat under you folks, and now, praise the Lord, you know, they're going on to ministry. And in that part, you played in that. I, I think of some of my, my Sunday school teachers, and boy, I'm thankful for them. And man, just uh, their teaching, their instruction, and so forth. That's the same way Aquila and Priscilla were. Uh, they don't, we don't see them in the limelight. We don't see them in the forefront, but they are so important and so powerfully involved in the early church. We would obviously simply say it. It's clear from the little snippets of Scripture that we do have that they were a huge blessing to Paul and the early church, the ministry of the Lord. And uh, uh, from verse 4, now here it, it steps it up, doesn't it? From verse 4 back here in Romans chapter 16, what happens? He says, they even, <laughs> and you love the statement, don't you? Because it sounds southern. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. Yeah, they, they stuck out their neck, right? And, you know, and that's what they did. That's what he said. They laid down their own necks. Now, yeah, yeah, we might think that developed in the south, but it developed in the scriptures. Amen. Paul said that. They laid down their own necks. They, they, put that, they, they stuck themselves out there on his behalf. Now, it, it's kind of disappointing because, like, man, what happened? You read that, like, what, what, what was it? Well, we don't know. <laughs> we won't know. Only eternity will reveal that. It's kind of disappointing. You think, man, it would be neat to hear how did they do that. Maybe they rescued him from a mob there in Ephesus. Uh, maybe they somehow delivered him in the, uh, during the night. We know Paul had many of those instances where he was delivered from folks and people who would like to persecute him, kill him, and so forth. We don't know exactly what it was, but Paul makes mention that what? They stuck out their necks for I think that's pretty impressive and certainly something to be noted here. And you, you catch what he says? I'm grateful for it, but who else is grateful for it? All the churches of the Gentiles, where Paul had an impact and an influence. Uh, they all benefited from, from uh, Priscilla and Aquila's offering themselves and allowing themselves to stick out their neck on his behalf. And my, you never know what impact your ministry will have. Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, you name it, VBS teacher. Boy, you don't know how many lives that will touch down the road and how many people it will impact. Uh, two brave believers. How would we describe them And as we go back to our outline? Well, certainly they were helpful. They were hospitable, opening up their house. They were supportive, encouraging, faithful. And may I just say it this way? Every church needs these kinds of couples. In all honesty, I believe I could list several folks and couples and families in our own assembly that match this example. I, every church needs that, and we, we are blessed here at Fonstoria Baptist Church to have that. Only eternity will reveal the impact of those in every church, like Priscilla and Aquila, who are the key to success. It's that supportive group. It's, the, it, it's good and right that Paul would mention them here and in other passages. It's so important. They are the backbone of the ministry of the Lord. It's, it's not those who are out in front per se. It's not those who get to speak. Uh, it, it's the people just putting their hand to the plow. And man, Aquila and Priscilla are a great example of that. And needed for the ministry to go forward. I'm thankful for that. All right, now let's break it down, the rest of these names, in some unique ways. Secondly, we want to look and put a group together from this passage and there could be many ways to to put them together but let's do it this way number two we see the beloved he mentions at least four folks that are beloved and 
that statement would probably lend itself to being, uh, these are very good friends with Paul. Uh, in other words, Paul probably not only considered them friends within the ministry, but also personally on a personal level. In verse number five, we have Eponidas, right? And he's listed there. He's listed as the first fruits of Achaia for Christ. Something that, that refers to Asia, I would tend more to southern Greece and what was Achaia in that day and age and so forth. And so what would we know Eponidas as? He's the earliest convert for Paul's ministry there in southern Greece. He's recognized as that. Now, let's tie some scriptures together. I hope, I hope you enjoy a little survey of scriptures tonight because we had to connect some dots. I love connecting dots, okay? And so we would also surmise or deduce that he was also part of the, the church that met in uh, Stephanos' house. You say, what does that mean? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, uh, you know, in, in parenthetical, phrase. You know the house of Stephanos, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, okay? And that they have, I love this, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Hey, praise the Lord, there's a good addiction, amen? Okay? And, and notice that first fruits of Achaia. Now, wait a minute, who is the first fruits of Achaia? Eponidas. So it is very likely, a very, I mean, to me, a no-brainer. He was probably part of this church that met in the household of Stephanos. Now listen, he's addicted with them to the minister thing. Can I just tell you that would be an easy way for him to become good friends with Paul? Why Paul would call him beloved. He probably ministered to Paul. He probably ministered alongside of Paul. Obviously, we have to throw in some speculation and connect it, but I think that's an easy jump and an understanding. Of, yeah, he was probably a part of this, and uh, that's probably how they became good friends. Uh, and, and Pleus is the next one. He's mentioned in verse number 8. And uh, uh, not much is given, but what we know from that term, that name, uh, it is a common slave name. Now, you will see in here, there are a bunch of slaves, servants mentioned in Romans chapter 16. It's quite interesting. Okay? And uh, many slave servants that are mentioned, especially in Rome and households and things like that. And so this, and Pleus is probably a good illustration. Now, I find this interesting. If he is indeed a slave, yet Paul called him beloved. Call, uh, Paul references him in, in verse number 8, my beloved in the Lord. Now, here's Paul, man. He was on the other end of the spectrum. Remember, he was high and mighty in, in, in Judaism. I mean, he was maybe on the fast track, as I think believed, to become the, the, the high priest. And in that, here he is, he, he talks about loving a slave, beloved, a dear friend. Now, can I just tell you, I am so thankful that the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks every social caste. All these positions and status and things. Listen, I'm so grateful that uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, so forth. So, hey, boy, we are on equal footing at the foot of the cross. Amen. And so that is a great presentation. As many slaves and servants are mentioned here, there isn't any room for us to look down or on someone else or think we are. Un no, 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 no. Hey, praise the Lord, we are in Christ. And that is the greatest bond that unites us. And I think Paul hits on that. And I think he demonstrated even in his friendships here. Okay, uh, the third is Stachys. He's found in verse number nine. We really know nothing else about him. You see it there. Um, just he calls him my beloved. And so there's very little, I'm not going to speculate at all because there's very little even historically out there about him. So we don't know much about him. Then we come to verse number 12. Verse number 12 is Persis. Now, she is obviously using that pronoun. She's a woman. 
Okay? It's interesting because in that same verse, if you look ahead at verse number 12, the other two people mentioned in that verse are also of the feminine uh, version of their names. And so believe them to be women also. So here she's mentioned. I think it's a unique way in which she's mentioned. She seems to have been older. In fact, I, I would probably surmise that she was probably bedridden. She may have even been on her deathbed. And yet Paul, in verse number two, he says, Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Now, we'll talk about the other two ladies in this verse in a few moments, but you'll notice they are mentioned in present tense. She is mentioned in past tense. And so Paul was referenced, man, she labored much in the Lord. Here is a lady, older, who had served. She labored as, probably as much as she could physically and had passed that point. Like I said, maybe bedridden, maybe on her deathbed. And yet, you know what I like? Paul doesn't forget her. Paul says she labored. She was someone in the past who just served and labored for the Lord and his ministry and the ministry of our Lord. And so he mentions her, remember, he, he salutes her. Hey, let's not forget that sacrifice. Boy, I am grateful for those who've gone before us have laid a great foundation. Amen. We ought to salute them. We ought to remember them and, and their work for the Lord. And I, I certainly do that. Old but not forgotten for all that she had done for Paul and the Lord. I like that thought. So that's the beloved, okay? The next statement, or the next grouping, I should say, we're, we're gonna refer to these as the kinsmen. He makes that statement. You remember us reading down through this passage. He says, uh, kinsmen. In verse seven, Adonikus and Junia are identified as Paul's kinsmen. Now, what do we mean by kinsmen? Okay. Well, certainly it could refer to blood relatives. It, it, it could be. They could be related cousins, you know, whatever the case may be. That, that is certainly a possibility, but it is also, and I would think maybe even a little bit more possibility, when he says kinsmen, he is referring to the fact that these are probably Jews like him. And uh, I'm not going to argue that point. It may be blood relatives, but nonetheless, good chance they were Jews, maybe even from Tarsus like he was and so forth. What's interesting in this verse, if you look at verse number 7, he goes beyond that and he describes them and he gives them characteristics in three different ways, okay? He says, they were my fellow prisoners. So they were in prison with him. Somewhere along the way, somehow, they were in prison together. They experienced that, and he calls them my fellow prisoners uh, there in this, this verse. Then he also says, and this is pretty amazing, they were a special recognition among the apostles, now, when we read this verse, we may say he's using the, uh, he's not putting them on the same level of the apostles. That term can be used generically. I think it's uh, my interpretation or my thinking of that would be among the apostles, they were of note. Okay. Uh, if he was using the term to apply to them, he could have been doing that in a very, very generic sense. But I think what he's saying is they had a reputation, a testimony among the apostles. The apostles took note. And for their labors, their faithfulness. And I think that plays into the next statement. What does he say? Well, they were in Christ before he was. They had seen the early start of the church. Long before his road to Damascus event and his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they had come to know Christ. And so they had a long heritage, a testimony of being faithful to the Lord. And, and I would say this, I, probably these two had known Saul the persecutor and Paul the preacher. <laughs> they had seen both sides of this coin known as Paul Saul. And so they had been uh, believers during that time, had, had feared him. Now they encouraged him. And he calls them his kinsmen. I think that's a neat perspective. 
Now, it's also possible, just to add another wrinkle, because I know you don't have enough knowledge floating around your head tonight. It's also possible they're a husband and wife. That term junia is the feminine uh, perspective of that or version of that word. And so it's a good chance that these two are husband and wife, Andronicus and Junia uh, being a couple and so forth. What matters about this statement or what we should take away from is the fact that he mentions them as being saved. They faithfully served the Lord for some time to the extent that the apostles took note of them and recognized them for their faithfulness and laborers. I'm reminded that Paul later writes, or at some point in his ministry wrote, it is required of a steward to be found faithful. And many of these people that Paul is listing, he's just recognizing faithful stewards. Many of these, only time they're mentioned in Scripture. As we've already said, there's several here we don't know anything about. But Paul mentions them. He takes note of them. And references certainly their faithfulness to the service of the Lord. The third kinsman is found in verse 11. You see him down there. His name is Herodian. And uh, there again, we, we really don't know anything about it other than he's called a kinsman of, uh, of Paul. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. And uh, it is possible because he's mentioned separate. Maybe he is a blood relative. Uh, but simply, obviously, he could just be a Jew likewise. Okay? All right, next category. I told you we're going to get through all these verses. There's a bunch of them. Here we go. The next category is this. We see women of note. Women of note. He mentions several here. Verse number five, we find a common name for women in that day, right? Mary. Well, a common name and so forth. And Paul only mentions about her. You see it there, verse number six. Excuse me, I said verse five. It's verse six. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. In other words, served us and much labor. So, in that, he mentions, obviously, she's a hard worker, right? And uh, she served, and she was a servant and, uh, to Paul and those certainly on his, in his entourage along the missions trips and so forth. And uh, she's one who really worked hard for the well-being of others and no doubt the ministry of the Lord. Can I just remind you, such service is important and necessary. I would equate it to the worker bees of the ministry. Those who are just in the background and they... That's their calling. They're okay with that. And, and they don't have to be noticed. They don't have to receive the accolades. They're just sitting there in the back working hard. And they're behind the scenes. And yet they're no less appreciated for all they do because they're the ones that make things work and cause the ministry to go forward. I think Paul recognizes that. I think Paul's writing this. because listen, I'm going to mention these people. Because, listen, they are important. They are, they are just, I don't think you see in this letter all the, the names of the pastor or pastors at Rome. You, know, you don't see all the deacons mentioned per se, but you, you see these people mentioned. And Paul says it's important to remember these folks because they are laboring and they, they've ministered unto me. And I think that's just a, uh, it's right for us to know that. Okay. And so Mary, a hard worker. Then we come back to that verse 12 in which we see the, the two ladies mentioned, Tryphena and Tryphosa. The root word, now this is interesting, the root word here means dainty or delicate, okay? Ladylike, in many ways, if you could put that. Some people believe, and uh, some commentators, uh, theologians believe that they were probably twins, and uh, it's a possibility, twin sisters, sisters uh, likely, and so forth. And yet, what is Paul? They're dainty, delicate, their names literally mean that, uh, come from a word meaning that. And yet, what does Paul commend them for? Their labor for the Lord. Even now, he says, it, 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 it's in the present. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa who labor in the Lord. They worked hard. They didn't mind getting their hands dirty in the working of ministry. I love that. It's a good reminder that there is a job for everyone. 
No person is too dainty or delicate not to be able to find something to do in the ministry of our Lord. You can find a place to serve. You know, the reality is this, and you've heard me say it before, but I'll beat the dead horse. You might get too old or too delicate to continue your earthly job, and you might retire, but you don't ever have to stop putting your hand to the plow for the ministry of the Lord. There's always a place to serve. There's always something to do in the service of the Lord. And I'll say it again. There's no retiring from serving the Lord, from being involved in the kingdom of our Lord. There's always something you can do, and no matter what it is. And you say, well, I, I am limited in this way. Great. You know what? A limitation is only an, a, a, a direction changer. It's just guiding us in a different way to minister, to do something in the, in the cause of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And can we say, the times that we are living in, you know what? It's time for all hands on deck, amen? All believers working and serving and doing what we can, okay? The next group doesn't really, isn't as unified, so we kind of give them three titles, all right? Well, we'd call this group the helpers, the approved, and the households that he alludes to here. And we'll go quickly through this because we don't have too much given. Verse number nine, you go back to that. It gives us one. His name is Urbane. He describes him as a helper in Christ. Literally, he would be described as a fellow worker of Paul. It is very likely he not only served Paul, but he was with with him sometime along the way serving in one aspect of another so he came alongside Paul in verse number 10 we find Apollos who Paul described and this is an interesting statement he speaks of Apollos he says he is approved notice it in Christ he is approved in Christ there in in verse number 10 and uh, salute him is what he says there it's quite the statement the idea here in the Greek is that he is tried and true, that he has gone through some kind of testing. We don't know what it is, but some kind of testing that God allowed or even God brought, and he has passed with flying colors. In other words, you, you can take this guy to the bank. You can count on him. He's tried and true. There's no doubt where his allegiance belongs, and Paul's making him of note here. And that's really a great testimony, isn't it, for any believer, uh, for Paul to be able to say that. Then there's two households mentioned. These are quite interesting. First in verse 10, Aristobulus uh, is the first household mentioned. The second is Narcissus in verse 11. Okay? Now what's of note, Paul doesn't directly salute these two men. That's not who he's saluting. He's saluting those of the household of them. Um, it's very likely that Aristobulus was uh, mentioned here was the historically known grandson by the same name of Herod the Great. And Paul's greeting are to those family, maybe possibly some family members in his home that might have trusted Christ, or more likely some servants and slaves that worked within this uh, significant household. And so some were part of the church at Rome, and yet they were uh, part of this famous household per se uh, there. It is possible Herodian mentioned in verse 11 that name, he could have been of the house of Aristobulus. Um, because of the connection to Herod the Great, Herodian, and so forth. We don't know for sure, but there is some speculation to that end. Narcissus is likely a, a historically known wealthy freedman uh, who was a merchant and so forth. He was actually put to death by Agrippa or Nero, one of those two, and he owned very much uh, possessions. He had a significant large household, including slaves and servants, 
of which some could have been a part of the church of Rome. You say, what's the importance of that? Here's what I draw your attention to from that. See, because of this and this illustration, okay, this household over here and this household and then even the household of, uh, of the emperor himself we know of that Paul reaches later. Man, it's amazing to see that the believers were spread all around Rome. They are in different households and impacting different places and so forth. We'll speak more of this in a moment, but I think that's neat to see as he addresses those in those households and maybe somewhere along the way he'd met them and some of them and so forth, but it's pretty neat that he mentions those. Last but not least, the group that's left is what we would call the assemblies, okay? These are these last two verses, verses 14 and 15, which just seem to be a list of names and so forth. They are certainly groups of believers mentioned. Verse 14, you'll, you'll notice possibly that it is referring to a group of men, okay? Uh, these are all men here. It is likely that they all worked together. Maybe they were in the same trade, or even more likely, maybe they were all slaves in the same household. It's possible. So there is something that, that brought them together, as even verse number uh, 14 alludes to here, and other brethren that are with them. The group in fi- verse 15 is similar, but it's a mixed group of believers, men and women alike that are mentioned in this verse. And uh, likely or possible, they worked in the same place too. They were, as Paul mentions here, together for one reason or another. So he mentions all of these being together and all the saints that are with them. There's a togetherness that is stated there. We don't know much beyond it. I'm not going to speculate much on that. Now, there is one name in this last verse that is mentioned that I think is quite interesting. It's a little bit intriguing based on some um, speculation, okay? It is the name of Nereus, Nereus, there in the middle of the verse. A noted theologian and historian has done some interesting research, historical research, and given us a possible glimpse into who Nereus is. In AD 95, it was a tumultuous year there in Rome. And many things were going on, and so it was a difficult year, and not the least of which, there was two very prominent, very famous, well-known people who were condemned in AD 95 as Christians. And they were condemned. They were tried and found to be Christians, and they did not deny it and so forth. Two, two very distinguished people. They were a husband and wife, and their names were Flavius Clemens, and then his wife, um, Domitia, or Tila. Okay? And so a husband and wife, they were condemned as Christians. As such, being condemned, in fact, Domitia is the one who gave her name to the very first Christian cemetery found in Rome. And so uh, that cemetery is known by her name there. But as they were condemned, um, Flavius was executed. Okay? They just put him to death. Uh, Domitia, what they did for her, they banished her. She was sent to the island of Pontia. Uh, the lesser sentence for her likely being credited to the fact that she was of royal blood. She was the granddaughter uh, of the famous uh, former emperor Vespasian. And she was also the niece of the current reigning emperor Domitian. Um, but here's the interesting part. This couple historically had a chamber, uh, chamberlain. Obviously, many wealthy couples did at that time. Uh, that chamberlain was much like a personal steward. If you think of Joseph in the Old Testament, very similar. Who was put often in charge of the finances, the running of the household, and so forth. And according to historical documents, uh, the name of that chamberlain was Nereus. Nereus. Now, pure speculation, Okay. But think about this. 
But what if, just possibly, the Nereus that Paul references and greets is the same one by which that couple came to know Jesus Christ? A chamberlain who had come to trust Christ, and by that means, this couple comes to know Christ, and through that, obviously, it led to the judgments, and they stood up for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and it shocked and troubled all of Rome. Only eternity will reveal if that's the case. But sure is neat to consider that some of these people that Paul salutes were the means by which Rome was reached in every quarter, in every rank, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we read this list, we can say, wow, there are some people on that list who probably shook the very foundation spiritually of Rome. They reached into places where maybe the gospel wouldn't go otherwise. And, and wouldn't it be neat to say that because of those who attend a Fostoria Baptist Church, boy, Fostoria and Mayville and North Branch, Millington and Vassar and Otter Lake and Lapeer and many other places. You know what? The gospel reached into places all every quarter, every area of those communities because there are faithful Christians of a local church. They say, you know what? We're just going to be like this. We're just going to be faithful as these folks were to take the gospel wherever we go. I, we don't know. Uh, only eternity is going to reveal it. But it'll be neat to find out the stories of these folks mentioned in scriptures that, that we don't know the end of it. But it begs another question as we read this and as we bring it to a close. What does this seemingly long list of names tell us about Paul? Well, I think we can conclude this. Paul was a believer that remembered others and who allowed others to make, a good, make up a good part of his thoughts. In other words, he wasn't so singular, so self-focused that he didn't regularly, others entered into his thoughts, and, and certainly as he was thankful for them. I like how one author kind of beautifully described it uh, in a paragraph in describing this section of, uh, of this letter to the church at Rome. This is what he wrote. He said this, a list of greetings, referring to this passage, a list of greetings such as this shows often his mind turned back to those with whom he had formerly worked. It suggests the gratitude with which he recalled the favor that he had received, uh, the concern with which he watched over his convert's growth and grace, and the solicitude with which he remembered his friends as he lifted them into God's presence. All this is the very antithesis of the impersonal professionalism which efficiently discharges necessary obligations and yet uh, permits the personal equation to drop from sight. We forget people we should remember simply because we have allowed them to be strangers to our thoughts. Now, that can be convicting. Here's Paul. Paul Bigwig, Paul, greatest missionary, Paul, that's the man doing great things for the Lord. And yes, how does he finish his letter? I can see Paul there as he writes it or writing it through uh, uh, Tertius uh, as he's dictating it likely. The fact is this, Paul's trying to remember everything. I don't want to leave anybody out. They all had such an impact. They all did so much for me. And man, you know, sometimes people get a big head. They're all about themselves and they leave everybody in the dust. They forgot how they got there. Now, Paul... Paul's remembering they say, salute, greet, salute, greet, because they labor. Man, beloved here. And he's remembering each one of these. You say, wow, Paul seems to have a great memory. See, some of you and I, we, we, we lament how much we've forgotten, right? 
names we've forgotten and so forth. Just today, I was trying to think back uh, somebody from many ministries ago. Man, I remember that, that face. I couldn't put a name with that face, and it's very frustrating. We think Paul must have a great memory. Well, may I put it this way? I think it's more likely that his ability to recall all sorts of men and women was because he found room for them in his prayers. I think this list here is not only Paul, people that Paul is grateful for, but I also think it forms some of Paul's prayer list. He said, hey, Lord, and took them frequently before the Lord. Would you bless so-and-so, Priscilla and Aquila, and would you bless Ephesus, and uh, so forth and so on. All the way, uh, I, I just have a feeling that Paul said, huh, I pray for them regularly. He put them a part of his prayer list. Can I just encourage you? You say, this has been very informational, historical in some ways tonight. But may you and I strive in 2020 to be like Paul in this way. Remembering others favorably, especially in our prayers. Now, there's two verses that one verse we left out. We'll get to it next week because there's a little bit of a, some story behind it. And then we'll get to verse 16. And then we'll get to those next verses where he puts in a little exhortation, a, a little uh, instruction spiritually and biblically in this PS. And so it's been a great study, and we'll get to it. Covered a lot tonight. So thankful for this, these examples.